want to make use of those reports, if there's so much data segregated so many different ways, the reports end up becoming kind of useless, right? Because I don't know how to do a trend analysis if I have things just all over the place in my profit and loss, right? So by consolidating those things, maybe everything consolidates down into one or two travel accounts. Now I can really see. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. How important is the general ledger to your organization? You might not care until you get a huge bill from your tax department for incorrectly coding an expense. Or you might know that your financial position might not be as strong as you thought. The correct setup of the chart of accounts determines how much admin effort you would have with your accounting. In fact, it's the foundation of the ERP system implementation. If you lump everything under one account, you might lose the insights that you need to be able to find the root cause of financial issues. If you make it too broad, you might enter too much data during your transactions and may have adoption issues among your operations team because of the overly engineered processes. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss general ledger best practices. We discuss the scope and boundaries of the general ledger processes and why the way your general ledger is set up might have impact on your KPIs and operational performance. Finally, we discuss general ledger practices in different industries. Interaction of BI tools with general ledger and the differences of general ledger processes for public versus private companies. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you're joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. And we always have an expert uh, panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. For today, we have the core topic of ERP. This is what ERP is known for, general ledger. Okay, so we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that before we do that. We are going to start with everybody's intros. I'll start with my intro. If you don't know me, I'm Sam Gupta, principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. And we literally live on general ledger. Um, so obviously, that's going to be a lot of fun. On that note, I am going to move to Abu for his intro. Thanks, Sam. My name's Abu. Uh, I'm a lead of we are a CHX3 partner. For the last 12 years, I lead a group called Panny. Uh, we serve a wide variety of clients uh, all across North America. And especially, you know, we have a lot of good stories about GL and mismatch between inventory and manufacturing entries and all of that. So good to be here and glad to be on the panel. 
Okay, super excited about those stories. Thank you so much for being here, Abu. Uh, Nirav, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yeah, Nirav Shah, I'm CEO of AdSir CRP. We're a premier Acumatica partner. Um, we've been implementing ERP for about 20 years now, all various different industries. I have uh, you know, a great story to tell here today regarding General Ledger, so stay tuned. General Ledger could help you increase your sales. So I'm excited to, to share that with everybody. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Sam. Could not agree more, and a lot of people don't understand how that works, so hopefully the story is going to teach them. Thank you so much for being here, Naraf. Ben, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yeah, definitely. Ben Cole, president of ERP Connect Consulting. Uh, I think this is my second time on the podcast now, so good to be back. Uh, we're a Microsoft partner, specifically focused on the design implementation support of D365 Business Central. And of course, with that, the backbone is General Ledger. So excited to be here and chat more about that today. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Ben. Uh, and Paul, uh, joining for the first time, would you like to introduce yourself next? Sure. Thanks, Sam. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm the founder of Optimal Data Consulting. I help companies um, that are moving off of QuickBooks uh, migrate their data to NetSuite. So work a lot with the accounting teams to make sure map and uh, get all the data migrated over. So excited to be here. Okay, amazing. And we have four uh, superpowers right now, and all of you are probably competitors, which is what makes it fun. Uh, you know, this is going to be super educational for our listeners. And if you're in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys post your questions and comments. Our goal is to cover them during the show. If you run out of time, we'll make sure that you are going to receive your answers. On that note, I am going to start with Abu with the first question. And uh, that is going to be, let's say, if people don't understand the scope and boundaries of the general ledger, where should the process start? What should be sort of, uh, sometimes, you know, when I look at the general ledger, people are only thinking financial reporting, but they don't sort of understand. And that's why I'm going to be super excited to hear uh, Niraf's story as well when he talks about uh, you know, impact on sales because general ledger is everything when you think about it. So do you want to paint the picture uh, and the context for general ledger, uh, Abu? Sure. I mean, general ledger can be simple to, you know, something extremely complex as well, right? Yep. I mean, if you look at it from a bird's eye view, you know, it's uh, it's something to capture accounting values, right? Sales, ex cost, expenses. And if you start spending too much time on it, it can grow very big, very quickly. You know, I've seen uh, general ledger accounts which have, General ledgers which have like seven, eight hundred GL accounts for a couple hundred million dollar companies as well. So you know, it really it re, it assists you in helping you. You know, the main purpose of GL is to track and report on all the financial transactions, the ability to report on costs, and making sure that the the values that are recorded in the GL match with your upstream transactions. So, for example, if you're creating invoices, you invoice a million dollars. Are those in million dollars being reflected in the general ledger as well? You know, theoretically, it should all always match, but you know, as a lot of our participants here will see, that you know, there are often a lot of discrepancies between the two. Commonly, you know, the biggest challenge in creating a general ledger is you know making it sufficient and concise enough to not get too large to manage, but also having enough detail so that you can report on it at a granular level that you require for management reporting, uh, for financial reporting. If you're a public company, you know, that has its own sets of challenges. And then, you know, the other key challenge over there is obviously, you know, making sure that all the upstream transactions from manufacturing, from inventory control, from sales, from procurement, they're all reconciled down to the chair. Okay, some very interesting insights there. And the key theme that I am hearing in your conversation, 
sometimes when people think of general ledger, they are sometimes they say that you know what, just keep it simple. And just by keeping simple also could be problematic in my experience. What I'm hearing from your conversation is going to be, it's probably going to be a fine balance that you need to have across the board to be able to get the right insight. If you keep it too simple, then you are probably not going to get the insight. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you are going to be too detailed, good luck with those. Yeah, and, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a. It depends on what kind of company you are. You know, whether you're a small private company or you're a large public company, very different set of reporting requirements. Yeah. It also depends a lot of time driven by your system, right? A lot of time, the ERP system you're using cannot, you know, accurately capture all the way you want to look at data. So, you know, then you need to go, you know drill down reporting at the GL level, you want to make sure that GL is capturing all those details. So again, it's a fine you know, balance between the size of the company, its reporting requirements, right? So if you have taken venture capital, if you have taken large bank loans, they require very deep and granular details, which makes it you know, much more difficult to reconcile everything and report to them. Uh, if you're a public company, you know, again, in public company, if you're a NASDAQ listed, if you're a Toronto Exfagasty listed, two different set of reporting requirements. So everything drives down, you know, the kind of system you're using, and then you have to choose the right balance. Okay, amazing. So obviously, we are going to come back to you, and we can probably uh, review some of the stories that you might have in terms of the differences between your public reporting versus the private reporting. I think that's a huge difference overall, the way they are yeah. done. So I'm actually going to come back to you, but, you know, I'm uh, going to come to Nirav. Uh, right now, and I cannot wait for my story. Okay, <laughs> so first, obviously, the context. If you have anything that you may want to add, or if you agree or disagree so far, what uh, Abu has said. Um, so just provide the context, and and then I'm actually waiting for my story. <laughs> yeah, no, ab- absolutely, no. Abu hit it around the head. You know, it is it is a lifeline, right? The purpose of the general ledger, obviously, everybody knows to collect financial information. There's thousands and thousands of transactions that happen per month in the ERP system. And where does it all roll down to, right? Yeah. It has to be reflected accurately um, and clearly in the general ledger, right? That is a base. That's the foundation of the ERP system, right? If a good chart of account is thought out on how we're creating that base, it's going to help spur better decisions throughout the system, such as how are we going to create our items? How are we going to create, you know, customers and vendors? And what type of reporting do we want to do with these um, kind of static records back into the general ledger, right? Because the general ledger is just not credits and debits. There's a lot of information in there that you could pull out and use properly for your business, right? Um, you get real-time insights for your business, right? Find CFOs, a lot of upper management that we use the general ledger and the sub-ledger behind that um, to essentially write dashboard reports, right? Through Power BI, other nice BI tools. And this is all real-time ERP reporting. They don't need to get to what is the source production order number? What is the sales order? They want to know what is my AR? balance and why did it go up and down here? What is my sales? Why did it go up and down? Let me drill into that. Let me find what culprits or what is going on with that data, essentially, right? And 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 that all makes the business better, right? When you talk about, when I said general ledger could help increase sales, the general ledger is not a set of numbers at the end of the day. A lot of customers uh, kind of, you know, some accountants, maybe they'll set it and forget it. Okay, we know that there's some transactions hitting every month. You know, we know that there's manual distributions happening to our sets of expense accounts. 
maybe they're a standard cost type of environment that they have cost variances that they're ma uh, managing in the general ledger, such as cost variances, material variances, or, you know, subcontracting variances, right? All these variances, right? But they just let that hit, right? And they really don't take any actions on it. If you really take a look at what the general ledger is telling you, you could pull out inefficiencies in your business, Pull out inefficiencies of why are we spending more money in certain areas, right? Why is purchasing ordering too many stamps? Why is, uh, you know, manufacturing ordering way too much oil, right? Or why why do we keep getting this big material variance at the, or labor variance at, for our production orders, right? What's going on? Do we, do we not have the proper equipment on our floor, right? Is our equipment outdated? Right. Or are you are labor workers, people on the floor not trained pro properly? That's why we keep going over our allocated run times or setup times that we have allocated in our routing. Right. It has so much dense information that if we took a t if we took time to really compare that information, the general ledger with the specific goal in mind month over month, we could pull out efficiencies that could increase our sales. Ding, 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 right? If we do that properly and take time, not just close our books, not just close the year, but really take a moment and saying, all right, well, how did we do this month compared to next month? Where could we be better, right? Are we implementing GL budgets, right? A good budget system allows you to revise that budget to make yourself leaner month over month, right? You could see that. You could start feeling it through the organization. People are effectively trying to come under budget. The general ledger budget outside of a sales budget that normally all customers use all the time, right? But what about the general ledger budget? We should have variances that we don't want, you know, our departments or our users to go over. We want to continue to get leaner. We want to increase our bottom line, right? We want to get better margins at the end of the day. That all comes down to how we manage a general ledger, right? The, the answers are there. I don't think enough customers take enough time to look at that. And if they did, they're going to really open their eyes and open the, blow the doors off their business and take their business to a whole nother level. Okay, amazing. And do you want to tell your story as well? Yeah, do you well, have the example that you want to share? Yeah, so that was a customer that was a standard cost customer that was run, running manufacturing. They really didn't update their standard cost in a long time, right? They really weren't getting their true margin information out in their PL. And uh, when we, this was, you know, they were on the system for some time, they got a new controller, then they wanted to move over from standard cost to more of a FIFO or an average cost system, right? But then they realized their pricing was all wrong. Their pricing didn't really reflect exactly what their costs were at the time, right? No one went back and looked at those routings. No one went back and looked at those labor costs. At the end, once they could be cleaned all that up, right? Because all that information was a general ledger. Once we cleaned all that up, oh, their margins went off the roof. You know, they're able to see their business uh, and make better decisions. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Naraf, for that. So, man, I'm actually coming to you, and uh, I'm actually going to, uh, you know, touch some of the comments that Naraf made, and I am going to be telling story from my perspective. Okay, the customers that I have come across. So whatever he is trying to preach, obviously it makes sense. Okay, everybody sort of understand. Okay, everybody wants to get insight into data, but when it comes to using that in practice, you know, there is all, there are always going to be gaps. For example, he mentioned that you know what you need to have your general ledger in order, you need to get the insight. But when I am the CFO of a company, and this is a real life story, okay, and they have very reactionary system. Meaning, you are going to have QuickBooks sitting down here. They probably have their startup accounts, general ledger. They are thinking, you know what? This is my 
job as the accounting finance person you operations you sales you figure it out whatever insight i need i can get from this system so i'm not too sure what is this connected experience going to give me because i already have that so it's very 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 hard to translate how to how your integrated processes and integrated general ledger across the processes and i'm going to be stealing the term that abu has been mentioning upstream processes okay so that matters a lot overall in terms of the getting the insight so i don't know if you are going to have any sort of follow up comments build up in terms of the context of the chart of accounts and any stories that you might have then over to you yeah definitely no i appreciate both of your comments i'm kind of going to build off of them cuz what what you guys have been talking about i think is kind of the the perfect world scenario right everybody's got their chart of accounts set up correctly they got their general ledger configured perfectly and everything's flowing through and you know if it's if it's working perfect I'm never even going to see the GL until I go into the GL, right? If I'm posting sales orders and purchase orders, use a sales order for example, the customer is going to drive the AR account I'm hitting and the items that you're selling to them are going to drive all of the, you know, behind the scenes GL effects. So, I was going to take a step back and actually talk about kind of the setup and the design that I go through a lot of times when doing implementations. Paul, I know you haven't spoken yet, but you mentioned you do a lot of QuickBooks conversions. I I do the same, right? I I take a lot of clients from kind of homegrown systems or QuickBooks or something that I wouldn't consider enterprise and move them up to something bigger and better right then the first conversation that we always have is chart of accounts right because it is truly the backbone of your business we'll get things all the time where as you probably know coming from a quickbooks client they could have letters and numbers and words in their chart of accounts right and really standardizing that that best practice that a lot of people I don't think realize the the impact of that and not only short term for the setup but also just for hiring new people right if you google something online or pick up a accounting textbook if you're to university or something right there's going to be standards that a lot of that follows and you'd be surprised by what some companies set up right they might have assets in the 4000 range or something right and you know not getting too deep into that but your your balance sheet and your profit and loss should follow a, a general flow and simply talking about that from the outset is probably like the biggest thing that people forget um and as you're coming from another system people don't like change so if they can keep their chart of accounts the same they will and what I'd like to focus on a lot before we even talk about sales or purchasing is what at a high level are the reports that you want to generate at the end of the day that will help us kind of back into our chart of accounts abu you mentioned kind of you know somebody might have 600 or 1000 or 2000 accounts right that's that's overkill i was working in dynamics gp 5 or 6 years ago and they had a one of my clients had a six segment um GL string which you, you know a lot of ERPs now have dimensional uh kind of reporting and analysis there but when you're using a string they were tracking like so many different things they literally had probably 100,000 different combinations and it was just absolutely insane what they were trying to track so i i agree that you know we want to simplify down to the lowest common denominator that we can while still giving uh, absolutely as much insight and in control that we can there's a lot of drill downs in a lot of different ERPs these days right so we can use the general ledger to start and say okay this is my revenue by, by my four or five revenue lines maybe but then we really want to drill into that deeper so i think really taking a step back and going into the design gets to narav's kind of future futuristic state which honestly a lot of people can't accomplish because of the way that their GL set up so really gathering those requirements from the beginning making sure that it's set up and you know hiring folks like all of you on the phone that 
know what the best practice is so that clients can get the most out of their system. If you set a bad foundation, you're going to, you know, you're not going to be well off four for five, four to five years from now. If you set that foundation and then build into the POs and the SOs and the inventory and all that kind of thing, you're going to be a lot more successful in the long run. It's because again, at the end of the day, all your reports typically from a financial sense are coming from the GL. So you really need to spend the time and focus, uh, even though, you know, it's not fun, but you, you got to do it. You, you absolutely have to do it and spend the time. Okay, so there are some very interesting layers in there, that conversation that we can build upon. One of the things that I am going to peel further typically is going to be, so you mentioned that, you know what, whenever I am going through my ERP implementation, chart of accounts is the first thing that I am going to be asking. And I don't know whether you have dealt with any of the mom and pop businesses, especially family-owned, and sometimes they might not be mom and pop. Typically, when you uh, use the term mom and pop, it's almost like, okay, maybe they are a million, two million, three million. But I am talking about family-run businesses that probably are doing $100 million uh, in revenue, okay? And when you are going to be asking about the chart of account, they are going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. nobody has seen my chart of account so far, okay? Even my accountants, they don't know about chart of accounts. The only people who have access to chart of account is going to be the people who are sitting in that room and that's it. I mean, nobody else has seen. So again, as a consultant, why do you need access to chart of accounts? So do you want to describe a little bit more why it is important to have access to chart of accounts and why that drives your operational performance? In fact, sales performance as uh, Nirav has been uh, preaching so far. Ben. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, kind of everything's intertwined, right? So yeah. by by setting those pieces up, the first comment I started with is if you have that all set up correctly and you're processing, purchasing and sales and all that kind of stuff, you're really never seeing the the chart of accounts. So I totally agree with you that, you know, the only people that are sometimes seeing that are probably the people in accounting, you know, your salesperson or the person receiving the inventory of the warehouse, they're never going to see the, the GL accounts. And honestly, they probably shouldn't because there's more room to mess things up, right? If you can build that well-oiled machine so that in the background you have, uh, in my world, everything's tied to a posting group. So customer posting group, vendor posting group, inventory posting group, all those are driving the GLs behind the scenes. So if those are set up correctly from the very beginning of the project and we have a discussion on it, we don't have to worry about it longer term. And again, kind of the end goal, obviously, that we've been talking about is, what can we generate from an analytics and reporting standpoint? And by, again, going into that in-depth, really capturing what are your revenue streams? What kind of cost of goods uh, kind of lines do you want to track? What are your SG&A expenses? How do you break out assets? How do you break out liabilities? What do you want to see on a balance sheet? What do you want to see on an income statement? Those are simple questions, but can lead to, honestly, hours of discussion of how a client wants to do things. And then always chiming in with best practice, right? Because they know how they do things from their view. We know how we do things from our view and really kind of molding that together to make sure that we can meet somewhere in the middle between best practice industry and still making the client feel like, you know, they're special and taken care of and we're solving their unique use cases. So again, I, to me, it all comes back to the, the setup, the discovery. Um, we're really not changing it much. I think the worst thing you can do is set it up and then the client's just constantly adding new chart of accounts because they're going to miss it in reports. It's not going to scale. And if somebody now comes in and we've got one account that's called travel and the other one's called travel airfare, you know, you're going to get airfare and travel and now you're going to get airport parking and <laughs> airfare or something. Right. So it's just, it just creates a mess. If you can really standardize it and then use the drill downs and maybe the dimensions and other data tags to get more granular, 
um, you can at a high level, right, look at those reports and make use of them, which at the end of the day, we want to make use of those reports. If there's so much data segregated so many different ways, the reports end up becoming kind of useless, right? Because I don't really care if I have, I don't, I don't know how to do a trend analysis if I have things just all over the place in my profit and loss, right? So by consolidating those things, maybe everything consolidates down into one or two travel accounts. Now I can really see, okay, you know, why was my travel so high and why did it drop down? Okay, maybe if it was 2020, it's because everyone stopped traveling, right? Now, why did it spike back up? Okay, maybe now people are going back into the office and going into client sites, right? So not only booking the data and reporting on it, but then pairing that up with some common sense and some kind of market factors to see to see the why. And Rob, I think you kind of touched on that, but you always have to look at the why when looking at the numbers, right? If we just say, okay, revenue's up, that's great. Well, did we purchase a company that's half of our new business? Well, we're not actually doing as hot as we thought we were, right? If, if, if you don't double in size after buying a company the size of yours, you know, you always have to ask the why, always have to look deeper into it and really, you know, put put that analyst hat on when you're looking at the numbers because, you know, the numbers don't always speak for themselves. You kind of have to look deeper into it. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for uh, those yeah. insights. And Abu, you were unmuting yourself. Did you have a comment? Um or, or no? Uh, no, good? I'm good. I'm okay, good. thank you. Um, okay, also, I'm actually coming to you. Now, you know, when I look at your world, that's very interesting in general, okay? Because if you are going from an ERP to ERP, it's still very easy migration in my mind, unless somebody had really bad implementation. That's always a possibility, uh, <laughs> you know? But <laughs> going from your QuickBooks to your ERP is a stretch in general. And the reason for that is because the kind of data migration that you have to have, uh, and I'm not talking about any of this historical data migration. I'm talking about restructuring, rethinking of chart of accounts. Okay. I was dealing with one of the CFOs, super sharp, super smart guy, you know, worked for one of the top accounting firms. He had trouble understanding these layers of data. Okay. He could not understand how can you reduce the chart of accounts, let's say if you had 600 different accounts, one for each fixed asset, one for each vehicle that they had, you know, you know how that goes in QuickBooks. And <laughs> and he just could not get it that, okay, how am I going to get my insight? How am I going to get my answers? You know, if you, I'm going to compromise on those layers. So let's say if you were to communicate to somebody who is going through this massive change <laughs> from QuickBooks <laughs> to an ERP system, uh, what would he say to them? Oh. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that I would recommend is to actually define all of your accounts, right? So it's like actually going through the process of working with FP&A, working with management, working with the auditors and kind of saying, okay, like let's add an actual definition to travel with airfare or like, you know, I come from the biotech industry. And so it's like, what's a lab supply versus you know, a lab consumable versus like shipping costs, right? And so we, you know, put a definition and then that's going to really help your end users, right? So we had scientists who are, you know, submitting requisitions and they have to select a code. Um, and they're like, well, I don't, you know, this could be in like four different categories. So, but if you've done the work and you put together a definition list, right? Then the scientists, you know, codes the, the requisition correctly. And then when it goes, flows through um, the transaction process, right? When it gets to you be a vendor bill, you know, it's coded correctly. And so then you as, you know, accounting or management 
you know, you have you know real data that's been coded correctly. Um, and, and that exercise, you know, is is very challenging, you know, but I think in the long run, you know, it it does pay off at the you know the value that you're getting from your reporting system. Um, so I think it, it's thinking about you know adding the definitions not only to GL accounts, but you know, departments or classes, um, if you're using those or other custom segments. I mean, I think to me that's because otherwise it's just garbage in, garbage out, right? Like, and, and, you know, I had a client that, you know, they had, you know, five different QuickBook files. And I mean, but across all five of those subsidiaries, they had almost a thousand GL accounts. And it's just like, I don't know how anybody can know what each of these accounts are, right? Like it's, it, it just becomes a nightmare. And how do you make business decisions um, when, you know, you're trying to manage, you know, a, a chart of accounts that has a thousand accounts. And so, you know, I think I find like, a, you know, an ERP implementation is a great opportunity, you know, to kind of help coach people and say, hey, well, let's trim that thousand accounts that you think you need. Like, let's just start and try to get that down to, you know, 500, right? And, um, you know, and that's a lot of what I, you know, tend to do for my clients is really help, um, you know, get people on board with, okay, hey, how do we kind of start that process? Okay, amazing. So a very interesting commentary there. And obviously the people who are not going to be familiar with uh, the lab field or the pharma field, biotech, it's going to be slightly newer for them. And one of the things when I'm dealing with retail or biotech, um, you know, when you are working with the scientists and one of the comments that you had made that scientist is responsible to code in the right manner so that accounting accounting can take over so that it's really coded in the right category. Now, if you think about it from the business perspective, right, some people might think that, you know what, what are scientists doing with the accounting codes? Why does it matter? Okay, so let's say if you were to sort of coach them that why this process needs to be connected, because in a lot of businesses that we deal with, typically the systems are completely disconnected. They are going to say, you know what, scientists, go do your stuff. Accounting, I can figure out anything. Whatever you are going to do, I'll take care of that. Don't worry. That's how most businesses operated traditionally. That's a very legacy accounting mindset that, okay, business, do whatever you have to. Sell at whatever price you can. You know, I can fix anything. I'm accounting. I'm bulletproof. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so let's say, let's say, Paul, if you were to coach these guys, why these things need to be coded correctly from the scientist perspective who might not have any accounting background whatsoever, <clears throat> what what would he say to them? Well, it's because when I come to you at the end of the quarter, I want to know, well, hey, why did we go way over budget on lab supplies? And they just look at you like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it's kind of like putting the ownership, you know, onto them to say, hey, like you're coding this stuff in a way that hopefully makes sense. So that when I come back and we we talk through and kind of tell the story of like, well, what happened this quarter, you know, they can kind of help guide us as to like, okay, the, these this study, you know, we went over on this one or this one we had to delay or we added this change order. You know, it's kind of helping, you know, them understand what, you know, what's going on in their budget. I mean, in my experience, you know, a lot of the, 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 the budget owners really do want to understand, you know, what's in their budget. They want to, you know, stay on, on budget and, and maybe that's unique to the clients that I worked with. And, but, um, you know, I think that it's kind of putting that ownership onto them, which I think in the end, it helps everybody. Right. Cause then, you know, you as, 
you you as the accounting management you know understand you know can get better insight into what actually happens. Okay, amazing insights there. Thank you so much, Paul, for that. Um, so Abu, I'm coming to you, um, and obviously we need to talk about the public versus private. I think that's the the thing that you had mentioned when we were discussing in your segment. So I don't know if you're going to have any sort of story in terms of describing the difference between the public accounting versus the private accounting, you know, what are the things that people need to keep in mind when they are doing it? Or maybe you can describe the context that, let's say, if you have the private company CFO has never done any sort of public accounting, you know, <laughs> uh, what are different ways of, of feeling that, I guess? Sure. I mean, one of the most, the first stringent requirement that usually comes in is, your, you know, all your upstream transactions, they have to match to the general ledger and there needs to be an explanation for it, right, if there's a discrepancy. Yeah. When you're a smaller company, you know, running on QuickBooks or, you know, smaller version, you don't have to report publicly, you know, you can do general entries to fix your problem, right? I cannot explain where $200,000 went. I own the company. It doesn't really matter. I'll do some, you know, adjustment entry. You can't really do that in a public company, right? You'll get audited. You'll have to explain it. And then, you know, you have to report that your internal practices are not strong enough. And that becomes a, you know, big problem on your stock price and so on. So that's the number one, you know, issue that a lot of public companies going public face right away is the inventory does not match to the GL, right? That's the number one thing. And we had a company a large distribution company going public and you know they spent three months with us trying to reconcile all the data in the quickbooks because they had prepayments and purchase orders coming from china they were receiving products you know separately in another system they were recording the financial entry in quickbooks and there was just no way they could match it right so just trying to reconstruct that gl for all the purchase receipts all the payments became a huge problem for them. And then they had, you know, then they had to do a major write-off on the inventory levels to make sure it all matches. And the other thing is, you know, things like revenue recognitions can change, you know. When do you recognize revenue? You know, based on contracts, you know, based on the terms of the contracts, they can become very complicated. Uh, you know, when you're a smaller private company, you can recognize revenue right away. I send out the invoice. Uh, it's recognized, or I'll only recognize when I send out the invoice. Different, more complex contracts may require you to, you know, recognize expenses and, you know, revenue a lot more differently. Similarly, with a lot, you know, for example, when you're doing manufacturing, uh, they want the inventory to be at actual cost, right? So, for example, if you're a smaller private company, you can do standard cost. If you're a public company reporting on IFRS standard, you can no longer do that. You have to go to average lot cost. You have to state your inventory at much more accurately for that purpose. So a lot of you know, different reporting requirements you know, come into play, a lot of different revenue recognition requirements, expense recognition requirements. You have to go down deeper into detail to capture those requirements and make sure that your internal processes and controls are set up in a way that you can cash them. You, know, you don't want the auditors to come in and identify Oops, you recognize revenue at the wrong time or you did not recognize this revenue, right? So all of that changes very significantly when you become a public company. Okay, amazing insights there. You know, some very interesting layers. Uh, but, you know, what I really want to touch on is going to be this question that Bob is asking. By the way, thank you so much, Bob, for joining. Uh, and uh, he's saying, you know what, just to lower the number of accounts that you are going to have, use the BI tools. 
Um, so I'm actually going to offer my commentary and then Abu, you can build on that, sure. uh, you know, whether you agree or disagree. So here, in my experience, BI tools are great. They are phenomenal. Uh, you know, that you don't have to touch your ERP. You can get a lot of insight, intel, uh, you know, without really going through the painful process of development and the reporting inside ERP. The challenge that most people don't understand is going to be that your data and the plumbing needs to be aligned to get the right insight that you are going to get in your BI tool. And it goes back to setting up the right foundation. I think you all have touched, you know, Ben, Paul, Nirav, that the foundation needs to be correct for the insight to be correct. And, you know, otherwise you are going to be end up doing a lot of adjustments. And sometimes you are doing those adjustments for no reason, you know, just to fix the problems that you had in your plumbing. So what would you, do you have any sort of build up there in terms of the BI tools? Um, yeah, I think, you know, it depends, right? So, I mean, in general, you should try to simplify your chart of accounts, but then you know, does your, can your ERP system can capture all the information that you need or not? So I'll give you a very simple example. I want to track my insurance by different category levels. I want to understand how much I am spending on, for example, general business liability insurance. I want to understand, you know, what's my fire insurance, for example, if I'm operating large, you know, oil depot, for example. I want to understand it by site. And guess what? The same insurance company is billing me everything, right? So most BI tools are not intelligent enough. You know, sure, you can talk with a lot of NLP and AI and all of that stuff, but they're not at that mature stage, right? So now the BI tool cannot really go in and look at the data and figure out, was it fire insurance? Or guess what? Somebody forgot to type fire, dispelled fire wrong, right? No, no, you have to try to develop tools that the BI is going to catch the fire insurance spelling correctly, right? So it becomes very complicated very quickly. So it depends on the tools that you have, you know, People try to use dimensions, for example, you know, instead of using sub accounts or classes of subclasses, they'll they'll tag a piece of information on the invoice, for example, or the upstream transaction saying, you know, this is this kind of insurance, right? So again, you know, can your can your tool or ERP system capture all those minor details in the upstream side of the business or not? And then again on the BI side, there are lots of limitations. Uh, on how you can, you know, slice and dice the data. And, you know, there are lots of fancy tools out of there, you know, who, where users can drive a lot of reporting, but ultimately maintaining BI tools can also become very complex and very costly in the long term, right? As soon as you need a reporting change, they'll give you, oh, the data warehouse doesn't work. You have to add this fact and dimension and, oh, it's not there in the upstream, right? So a lot of complications come in and it becomes very complicated. So again, I would say it's always a balance between everything, right? It, what your business is, what tools and processes that you have, and then you can, you know, make a chart of account. So, for example, if you're using QuickBooks, you don't have a choice but to have a large chart of account, right? So, mm -hmm. using a more advanced system, perhaps you can get away with it. Yeah, could not agree more. Thank you so much, Abu, for that. So, Narav, I'm actually coming to you, and you know, we are going to be touching up on the same conversation that you have been trying to preach. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I try to preach as well, but nobody listened to me, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll give you a story, okay? And and sometimes it's very, very, very hard to communicate why ERP matters. And I'm pretty sure you guys are sort of, uh, you have similar challenges as well. And sometimes, especially when you talk about these modern best of breed systems, uh, you know that you need to have these cool tools, but you know what? You need to have your foundation to get your inventory and chart of accounts right. So personally, I struggle a lot, okay? I'll tell you a story though. Uh, and this story is going to communicate the importance of those connected, you know, chart of accounts. And then maybe you can share some commentary or the, the story. 
the story is going to be, uh, you know, I did one interview with one guy and he said, you know what, they sold their business, but they had no idea that they forgot to account for 100,000 worth of inventory. And I'm like, hold on. How is that possible? Because in the accounting world, you know, if you have closed the books, because if you are selling your business, they must have asked for some sort of financial statements. And financial statement, you have to reconcile the books. How is that possible? Right? Here's what was the answer. Typically, if you look at any of the retail businesses, how they do the business there is going to be operations guy, sales guy, POS, deal with it. I'll take care of, of the accounting later on. In fact, they are not even recognizing the inventory as it is receiving. It's receiving in the WMS somewhere. It's receiving, it's getting received in the POS maybe, you know, but it's not actually coming to your books. The books, the only thing you have in your books is going to be just some sort of inventory, which is not real, obviously, right? So that's the story. And that's the sort of story of the disconnected processes. And I can tell you this, okay? 60% of the retail businesses are probably running this way right now. So I don't know if you're going to have any sort of insight uh, in terms of the the importance of connected processes as well as the connected systems. Yeah, over to you. yeah for sure. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's important, right? Um, that touches a very important point, right? How real is your general ledger? Yeah. Um, you could do, right, there's options depending on the ERP system. You want to do batch posting. Maybe you ac- accumulate all these transactions and they don't hit the general ledger until month end. And that's part of your month end process, right? Um, and now you don't have a live ledger anymore. All you're running is sub-ledger data, sub-ledger reports, BI tools, all this other stuff, right? But that doesn't really match with the general ledger. Now, as you sell the business, you know, middle of the month, and now all of a sudden, you know, you never really reconciled it. Now you have, you know, inventory sitting here, but it's not really reflected on the on the general ledger side, right? It happens. Um, you know, I, I always recommend to customer try to have a real system, a real li- a real time ledger system where, you know, as soon as you do an inventory transaction and post. But sometimes that's not possible, especially on the warehousing side. You touched on that. Right, Sam? Um, you know, there's uh, a company up here in Chicago that I was working on. Uh, they do they do light bulbs are two billion dollar company, essentially. So their inventory, their warehousing process was too intense. Um, and and they, they, we really couldn't fit them into the mold of an SMB product, right? So they had a third-party solution um, that they used and integrated their warehousing processes into into um, the ERP system. But essentially, there was a lag there. That lag, uh, you know, was maybe a day lag or a two-day lag, right? Or maybe a four-hour lag. I think when we're when we were done and were stabilized throughout the rest of the system, we had four-hour lags. So they were doing transactions, but then there was an integration that connected all those inventory transactions directly to the general ledger right away, right? And and th- th- that comes down to again, right? If you're if you're comfortable where you are, right? Comfortable with that gap, right? Nothing's going to change. But don't be comfortable with the general ledger. Don't be comfortable. Continue to try to make it as real as possible. Try to get better information out of it. Um, so instead of this example that you're giving, Sam, I think that was a perfect candidate. Well, why, why, why don't we integrate, get an integrator, integrate back into the ERP system sooner if we had a third party solution out there? Why did we have to, you know, why, why do we let this go on for so long where we posted our, our inventory entries once a week or once a month, whatever that is, right? Uh, because you could have night processes running to have, you know, to pick up all that inventory transactions and go hit the general ledger. 
So, you know, that would be some of my first questions. When we come up and look at efficiencies to make the general ledger more efficient, to make the reporting off the general ledger more efficient, where could we reduce some of that time of the, those transactions? Um, so it goes from basically, you know, transaction to GL, you know, relatively quick um, uh, without too much delay or, or, or gap. Okay, amazing insight there. Thank you so much, Naraf, for that. And, uh, you know, we have a comment here, and I think there are some layers uh, to overall general ledger conversation, which is going to be your product codes, commodity codes. And I'm actually shocked that nobody has really touched on the sub-ledger so far. So I don't know if you guys are going to have any sort of insights there. User-defined fields, I think that is super critical as well. Um, do you have any build-up there, by any chance, Naraf, uh, on these things? Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about some of this stuff, you know, dimensions, sub-accounts, right, the classes, right, all these different tags, you know, where you, where you put on the customer, the item, the vendor, and based on different combinations, they go ahead and hit, you know, those dynamic records, sales orders, purchase orders, right, when invoices are generated, so on, so they all hit the general ledger with these different type of codes that you could report off. But one thing we haven't touched is what about your close process, your month-end close process, your year-end close process, how efficient is that? Right. A lot of times the timing of when transactions are hitting is important. Right. Month and close a very time sensitive activity. There's a lot of times. Right. What does that schedule look like for you? Inventory closes directly at month end. Right. AR closes directly at month end. But AP might be open for a week later or a week and a half later. Right. Because you're still going back. You're getting invoices. and You're going back and hitting the general ledger. Right. Do you have a system that could support that properly? Right. And do you have a system based on who's doing the specific type of transaction, meaning you want to lock out users from doing transactions in the next month, right? If they're inventory users, right? If they're warehousing users, right? But AP users, you want them to, you know, go into the next month, a few days, but be able to, uh, you know, backdate some of those invoices that came in because they technically should have hit, you know, the prior month now, right? What does that month then close like? Because if you can't time that and you can't hit the ledger properly, your reporting is going to be off. You know, right off the gate, that's really important, the close process, right? Close process, what else does that entail, right? Your, your journal entries at the end of the day, right? You're doing recurring journal entries. You're doing, you're doing reversing journal entries. You're doing uh, fixed journal entries. Maybe you're getting a payroll export. If you don't have payroll in your system, you're exporting payroll entries, and you have to go ahead and post those at the end of the, at the, end of the month, right, or every two weeks directly into uh, the ledger, right? What about fixed assets? If you're not depreciating in the system, you got to get the fixed asset depreciation schedule, you know, done. Not only book depreciation, but your accountant is doing maybe makers and they're doing uh, tax depreciation. What about that? Are you bringing that in into your general ledger, right, at the end of the day? So all these factors, when it comes to journal entry, general ledger maintenance, general ledger accuracy, uh, and what you report back to the bank, because you might have a loan against your receivable, you have a loan against your inventory, how accurate is that, right? If you're not, if you're not accurate enough, you're, you're, you're leaving money on the table, right? Get that accurate, get your close process as well, uh, you know, report revenue properly at the end of the day. We've talked about that and discussed that pretty heavily here. So, you know, all these things, right? Like they say, all, all, all S hits the general ledger, right? Everything comes rolling downhill. We want to make sure that's done properly. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Naraf, for that. So, man, I'm actually coming to you. And, yeah. uh, you know, in your space, you are going to have many different challenges. Typically, when you are dealing with product-centric organizations, you are looking at a lot of different ledgers, okay? And sometimes those ledgers make no sense whatsoever. So you are going to have a merchandising ledger. You are going to have a ledger in the warehouse. And that ledger is probably not going to be correlated with the 
if you're accounting, you know, they are doing manual reconciliation, they are doing counting. So many different times it becomes so confusing, especially if you are going to have operations such as what um, Nirav mentioned, $2 billion organization. Good luck with that if you are not going to be connected. <laughs> <laughs> but in your case, I mean, when you're looking at your, uh, you know, kind of transaction where you are going to have very heavy projects where, let's say, if you have your month-end closing process, but you might get an invoice after nine months of that project, right? So you need to account for all of that. So in your experience, when you look at the general ledger, are you uh, have you seen any sort of best practices that you typically recommend for the clients? Yeah, I think the one of the notes I took while we were talking, actually, which seems super simple, but you, you'd be surprised about how many people don't do this on a monthly basis. I just wrote down, tie it out, right? tie out AP, tie out AR, tie out yep. inventory monthly. Um, and you can even do it, you know, at, at a minimum, do it monthly. You can, you know, periodically look at it week by week, day by day, but an absolute minimum, whether it takes three days to close or 13 days to close, you've got to close it out at some point, you've got to tie it out. And one of the common trends that I see is, you know, nobody wants to invest a lot of money in accounting because it doesn't generate revenue specifically to the bottom line. Everybody wants to invest money in sales and marketing and product and stuff like that. But what I found is interesting is nobody's ever got the time or the money to do it right the first time. But when you want to redo it or something gets screwed up, then everybody, you know, throws all hands on deck and it probably gets more expensive for the total cost of ownership. That's the other thing that I wrote down while we were talking. Tie it out and total cost of ownership, right? If you're proactive throughout, you know, the build and kind of the deployment and going live for however, you know, however long ago your go live was, by maintaining a proactive approach, it will actually save you a lot of money in the long in the long run, right? Nobody ever wants to write that big check or pay that monthly maintenance fee, but the cost of ownership, if you don't do that down the road, I don't care if you're public or private, right? If you're private, you might be looking to go public one day, you might be looking to sell, uh, who, who knows what you're looking to do. But at one point in time, somebody's gonna ask you for accurate financials that are on an accrual basis that are tied out to your subledger, And if you don't keep up with that, it could be a couple hundred thousand dollars, right? And I don't think people realize that. They think like we talked about, it's just general ledger. We're kind of the masters of the general ledger. We can make anything happen, do some journal entries, all this. It's not that simple, right? And if you get if you get a couple of CPAs in there, a couple of accountants, a couple of consultants at you know whatever their hourly rate is, that bill is gonna be huge just to do a reconciliation um, effort. And that's one of the things I tell my clients. So I don't only implement, but I'll do some kind of finance and accounting outsourcing for them as well. Cause I preach kind of the, the you know benefits of being proactive and doing that on a monthly basis and i say hey you know sure it's an extra charge per month but i can guarantee you without a doubt three four years from now when somebody asks you to do this you're going to get a hundred thousand dollar bill just on your desk to just to reconcile it which is going to pretty much add no value besides getting caught up right so tie it out look at the total cost of ownership be proactive i think a lot of the things we talked you know could be uh potential band-aids right if you don't fix them um, and then the only other thing I want to talk about going back to our earlier Power BI discussion, the number one question I ask when building something in a Power BI or any BI tool or any reporting tool in general is if I go back and change something in my ERP or my general ledger, will the report still work? Right. It's a simple question to ask. But a lot of times and I've seen this at clients before, right, they build a, a P&L in a, in a BI tool or some reporting tool and then they go add a new account. But in the in the reporting tool they hard coded every account that they want to pull into that report. Well, if I add a new account outside that range, now my balance sheet doesn't tie or my profit and loss net income doesn't roll to my balance sheet correctly, right? So does if I change 
some of the structure, will my report still be okay? If the answer is yes, you've built a very well robust kind of scalable tool. If you have to change the report every time you change something in your financial system, I know you said you, you mentioned Subledger as well. No matter where I change it, if the report has to change, it's probably not a, a scalable report. But again, going back to everything, tying it out, setting it up to scale. Um, when looking at your Subledger, I think drill down capabilities are huge and very important because I'm, I'm a proponent of simplifying the chart of accounts like we've talked about and using drill downs and using subledgers to find that other data and building reports that are scalable in order to find things. Um, because again, if when a CEO or uh, an owner or a shareholder is looking at the reports, they don't want to have to dig through it and ask a bunch of questions. You want to be able to look at it for five seconds and be able to at least come up with three quick thoughts of you know some inputs or some insights based on that report. If I have to spend 30 minutes just to understand the report, it's probably not a good report, right? Yeah, so some very interesting layers there. And one of the interesting, the most interesting layer that I found there is, uh, you know, about um, verifying when you are going to make any changes uh, in the ERP system, uh, whether your report is going to be intact or not. And when you are looking at these cloud systems, now things can be changed overnight. And that's, you are not really doing that. It's your vendor who is doing that, right? So I don't know if you have seen any sort of issues because now, you know, my report was working yesterday. Today, they just broke for some reason. And now I don't even know why they broke. So how do you figure that out? I mean, especially in the cloud system, I guess, you know, you probably need to have the scalability is, is even more important, right, Ben? Or, uh, yeah, or not? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the scalability is always the biggest um, biggest reason that people are kind of moving, right? They're growing. They don't want to have the growing pains or they want to minimize the growing pains and they want to have something that scales with their business. So I get calls like that or, uh, you know, I get calls like that all the time where, hey, my report's working yesterday. What happened? And it's probably not something that they updated, right? It's probably somebody else in the accounting department or sales department or just somebody who edited something and didn't tell anybody, right? So there's a lot of ways to to do that, you know, you can you can run change logs to track who's who's changing things. You can kind of create some tools and reports to do some comparisons. You can look at uh, versioning between things based on like what system you're using. So there is luckily ways to find it and pinpoint it uh, quickly. I'll say, you know, it might still take 15 or 20 minutes to to dig into it, which is 15 or 20 minutes. You know, you probably weren't planning on spending, and it can add up if there's a lot of them. But I think keeping keeping some of those you know communication lines and really at the end of the day, comes down to training sometimes, right? And communication internally with the team. You know, don't just go change things. Uh, maybe maybe build security around who should be changing it, so that there's one person who's the point of contact and the point of ownership that you can ask, rather than asking me, who is a consultant, right? I'm not in your business every day, but I can look at it and figure it out if I have to. But that can be costly at times, right? So really maintaining good internal controls, maintaining good change logs. And just making sure that, like I said earlier, you're not like you really shouldn't be adding chart of accounts on a regular basis after go live. That like adding adding a new account to the chart of accounts should probably go through somebody that's relatively high up on, on your finance department. It might not be the CFO, but you know someone who's managing that on a day to day basis, maybe the controller, or the VP. Like you really shouldn't be adding chart of accounts a lot after after go live unless there's a good reason to. Because again, like uh, Abu said all the upstream and downstream effects of what that addition is going to do. It could be costly to rebuild or change all the reports because you added one GL account, right? Could affect 20 reports. Who knows? You know, it's, it, it all depends client by client. 
Yeah, actually, I'm just going to add, add some of that, Ben. I think that's a yeah. great point. Um, you know, what we started doing and started implementing a lot more is adding workflows on top of adding new chart of accounts. So when you add new chart of accounts, it goes through an approval process and may go through multiple people, but it's going to be the people that know which reports they're running. So, you know, they understand as part of the workflow that they need to add these details back into these reports. So all these reports start balancing um, instead of someone just going off, adding something and there's no visibility of who added it when they added it, unless you have to change log and things like this turned on. But workflow is also important, you know, to get the proper approvals in place, not just letting anybody go in there with permission to ensure that you got the right approved accounts getting set uh, in the chart of accounts. Yeah, definitely. No, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I think there's a lot of good things out there. Like you said, uh, workflows is a great addition. Workflows audit trails, change tracking. But mm -hmm. I think at the same time, you don't want to make it so difficult. Like if it's a chart of account, maybe you do want to make it difficult, but there's certain things like you don't want to have, you don't want it to take an hour to create a new customer, right? So it, it all comes down to that balance. What's the balance of making sure that nothing's added inadvertently, but at the same time, doesn't impede the user experience, right? So I, I don't have the crystal ball. I don't have the perfect answer. There's a lot of good things to control it, but it's yeah. always just a, a client by client basis of not yeah. impeding the progress, but at the same time having really granular controls over uh, you know, data updates and changes. So uh, yeah, no, great input. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Could not agree more. Thank you so much. Uh, so Paul, I'm actually uh, coming to you. You have a lot to uh, contribute here overall in terms of the product code, subledger. I don't know if you're going to have any sort of comments. Over to you, Paul. Yeah, I mean, I think to add on to what you know Ben was sharing, you know, I think. You definitely, when you overcomplicate your segment structure, right, it's going to slow down your close process, which kind of gets back to the change of public versus private. You know, public companies need to close much faster. Um, you know, and I think I had a client that, you know, they were implementing NetSuite. They wanted to have, you know, all these custom segments that, you know, were in anticipation of where their business would be in three to five years. Well, you know, that didn't happen. And the accounting team, you know, changed over. You've got all these custom segments where the accounting team has to key in, like, the geography and all this extra stuff on every single transaction. And now they're paying a consulting firm to come in and basically take all that stuff out, right? So it's like you paid for it up front, and then, you know, now you're paying to kind of simplify it and get the user experience um, so that you're as efficient as possible. I mean, I think... Right. Accounting, you know, people don't want to spend money in accounting, but, you know, you got to think, it, how can you use the system efficiently you know, so you can save FTEs, right? Like whether it's using like a Flowcast or Blackline or any other kind of closed software to kind of help you kind of just stay on top of it. So, yeah, so things don't become a mess. But, you know, as Ben said, you know, unfortunately, people are usually willing to pay to clean things up and um, that ends up being more expensive than just being proactive at the start. So that is such a great example and the point, to be honest, okay? And I personally struggle at times when you are looking at uh, dimensions and then, you know, every time these people have to enter the data. So in your experience, when you're looking at chart of accounts, have you seen any sort of best practices where dimensions are probably going to be necessary that, you know, you probably have to have those versus when it's just going to be overkill? Uh, have you seen any sort of best practices? Yeah, I mean, I think going back to kind of what I said earlier about defining accounts, right? I think that's a, a good process that will kind of force teams to like say, hey, do we really, we need to justify having this account, right? You know, I think what we talked, Abu was talking earlier about, you know, public, uh, you know, compliance, right? In, you know, the biotech space department is necessary so you can report on G&A versus R&D spend for SEC 
you know, income statements. Um, you know, class is used, you know, in you know a biotech space where you're tracking R and D spend, um, and that's another required, you know, MDNA uh, filing requirement. So, I mean, I think it's kind of you know really having that understanding of like what are the requirements that we have as a business for us to run our, you know, to run efficiently. And it's asking, you know, the auditors for SEC compliance, if you're, if you're considering, you know, going public, it's asking your board, like, you know, what's meaningful. Um, and then, you know, your internal, you know, your budget owners say, Hey, like what's, what's meaningful for them. Um, you know, I had a client that again, like, I, I think it's a balance, right? You, you don't want to overthink like, Hey, where are we going to be in three years? Because there's no guarantee you'll get, to there, you probably want to be like, hey, well, where are we going to be in six months, right? And saying like, hey, like for a department, like if you don't have a budget owner who you can assign to that department, maybe we don't need to add that department. You know, in NetSuite, you know, it's it's quite simple to add a new department. I mean, I think it's wise uh, what Narav said about having a workflow to add that. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's, if, if it comes to the point where we need to add that new department, you know, Let's have FP&A and the controller, you know, sign off on that. And then you know, we can add it. And rather than like having all these departments where it's just like overwhelming to like, well, where do we put this? Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much so, uh, for that. So the only thing we can take right now is going to be super short closing advice. Abu, I'm going to start with you. A few words, please. Um, you know, I think, it, you know, choosing the right chart of account depending on your company size and the situation you are in. And that should be factored in when making that decision. Could not agree more. Thank you so much. Nirav, super short closing advice, please. Yeah, Tarot Accounts, GL is not the is not a um, you know, um, put it together and forget it type type of thing. Take your time, you know, review it every month, try to get leaner, try to get better. You know, the, the information is right in the in the detail of that of the ledger. Could not agree more. Thank you so much, Nirav, for that. Uh, ben, super short closing advice, please. Tie out your sub ledger to your general ledger. Could not agree more. Thank you so much. Paul, closing advice. Yeah, keep it as simple as you possibly can when getting the data you need out. Okay, amazing. Love it, guys. So that's it for today. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another topic. On that note, thanks, everyone, for tuning in tonight. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Abu Asif, head over to pennymanagement.com. It's P-A-N-N-I-M-A-N-A-G-E-M-E-N-T.com. If you want to learn more about Paul Gisi, head over to optimaldataconsulting.com. It's O-P-T-I-M-A-L-D-A-T-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. If you want to learn more about Nirav Shah, head over to adcirrusrp.com. It's A-D-C-I-R-R-U-S-E-R-P.com. If you want to learn more about Ben Cole, head over to erpconnectconsulting.com. It's E-R-P-C-O-N-N-E-C-T-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Aaron Spool from Aventus Advisory Group, who describes what it means to have a cash flow mindset in the organization. Also, the interview with Jim Jones, who shares his insights into the importance of tracking 
meaningful financial KPIs to improve profitability and growth for CPG companies. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.